Hi, everybody. Welcome to the first ever mini-sode of True Crime for Dummies. I'm your host, Jazz. I'm your host, Jada. And today, we are doing something very, very new. We have decided to bring you guys a singular story with just one of us being the narrator. We're not sure how often we're going to do this. I guess that will be up to not only time, but also what everyone wants to see. But for today's case, I'm going to lead the way in telling everyone about Chris Watts. The purpose of these minisodes will be to educate our listeners on more well-known cases. And of course, if you know anything about true crime, you know about Chris Watts. So I may not be bringing new information to those individuals who already know about the case, but if you are into true crime like I am, you don't really mind listening to a story more than once. There could be some information that I have that you've never heard, or maybe you just haven't revisited the case since, you know, everything went down. In order to make this a little bit more interesting, I've decided to kind of break down what a family annihilator is. Do you know what a family annihilator is, Jada? I do. Okay. Well, I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't know. I was talking to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Those smartest I'm like one in the, the world. Senior detective of like the Atlanta Bureau. True crime for dummies. No, the oh. Atlanta Bureau of Investigation. I know everything. Really. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's sarcasm, ladies and gentlemen. Um, please don't uh, report my sister for um, falsely identifying as a police officer. Thank you. Okay. So, a family annihilator is a person who kills multiple members of their own family, such as their spouses, children, siblings, or parents. It is often in response to financial, professional, or relationship stressors. According to a study, the majority of these killers are men in their 30s. Sometimes these actions result in murder-suicide. There's not really a lot of information about the percentages because it's such a rare thing, but it has happened a lot throughout history. I definitely want to get into some more cases like this one. There's three different types of family annihilators. The first one is due to psychosis, which is like a mental disorder. You know, you're distorting reality with your delusions. This annihilator believes that killing their loved ones is the only way of sparing them from a horrific event. In reality, this event is a delusion. The second type of family annihilator is a highly repressive individual who spares their family from losing everything financially. It is their way of immortalizing their normalcy. This killer sees their family as a status symbol, and once that status is in jeopardy of collapsing, they commit anemonic familicide. The third kind of family annihilator wants to extricate themselves from a family life they can no longer tolerate. This means impending divorce, a threat to remove the children, or an extramarital affair. This is the most common sort of intimate partner homicide, and it is the kind of family homicide that we're going to be talking about today. I have a quote from Chris Watts. This was given when he went onto live TV to plead for the safety of his family. He says, Shanann Bella Celeste, if you're out there, just come back. Like if somebody has her, just please bring her back. I need to see everybody. I need to see everybody again. This house is not complete without anybody else here. Please bring them back. And that just goes to serve as a precursor for all the things that we're going to get into today. I really tried hard to find some more information on Chris in his like younger years because I really haven't heard a lot about his childhood. So he was born in Fayetteville, North Carolina. His father, Ronnie, was a parts manager for a Ford dealership, and he is still a parts manager somewhere in the North Carolina area. His mother, Cindy, was a notary and a secretary for a used car dealership. The family attended church regularly. Chris describes himself as the quiet kid, 
while his sister was the more rebellious one. His sister and his mother argued frequently, and Ronnie Watts was the disciplinarian in their home. But it was mostly verbal. He was never physically abused, and he also claimed that he never abused animals growing up, which is a common theme that you see from people who are killers. He was never an aggressive person and rarely got into fights. He had braces and a bowl cut, but he was never a victim of bullying. But he had few friends, so he's kind of normal, but that social outcast aspect of his childhood, it's just really telling. His sister was the outgoing sibling, and as his sister got older, she would move around a lot. She'd go to a new city and kind of come back a short time later, just coming and going as she pleased. Chris graduated high school and moved about two hours away, where he completed a NASCAR tech program. It's like a kind of like a community college. I think it was like 72 months or something like that. He received like a certificate from NASCAR. So Ronnie began abusing cocaine once Chris left home. Chris explained that he believes his father thought that he would return. And when he didn't, this change was very hard for him to cope with, henceforth the drugs. The addiction didn't affect or hurt Chris as much as he imagined it would at the time even though him and his father were always close. In an interview, he calls his father his hero and his best friend. I think this is kind of strange. Don't feel like my parents have the kind of relationship where once I graduated high school and left the house, they would be compelled to abuse drugs. Something about that is giving me codependency or some other underlying like psychological, emotional issues. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but that just doesn't sound normal. It doesn't sound normal. How do I say, how does he know that they weren't doing drugs before? Mm, I guess that's a, a good point, but it was just his dad. And he said that his mom and his sister were the ones that noticed it. They would see like rips in his jeans from where he was trying to like cut the substance. What? Um, yeah, with like a blade, like on his pants. He could have done it with the table though, like any table. He didn't want to cut the table up. You're not going to cut up the lamination. That is mm. very odd. He worked as a porter while he was in college and then became a mechanic. He had little experience with romantic relationships. He never had a girlfriend in high school, and there were few girls at NASCAR Technical School. He met Shanann in 2010 after friending each other on Facebook, and just two years later, they were married. In December of 2013, they welcomed their first daughter, Bella. The couple then purchased a home in Frederick, Colorado that same year. Celeste was born in July of 2015. Chris was employed at Anadarko Petroleum and Shanann worked from home selling a product called Thrive. She was a part of like a multi-level marketing scheme. They sold like wellness products. I don't really know much about the company, but I know it was owned by Lavelle. I don't think they're still in production or around today. In 2015, they filed for bankruptcy, citing $449,000 in debt and only $864 in the bank. Chris's parents had a rocky relationship with Shanann. Cindy and Ronnie did not attend the couple's wedding, and they believed that Shanann was not good enough to marry their son. At the time of the murders, Shanann and her in-laws were not on speaking terms. This all came about when the couple realized the grandparents were serving ice cream with peanut chips to their children. Celeste had a known peanut allergy, so it was actually very serious. Shanann was very active on social media because of her work in the multi-level marketing scheme. She often posted videos of herself and her family on Facebook Live. She talked about Chris and how happy she was to have him. In June 2018, Shanann posted a video of Chris reacting to the news that they were expecting. His response was, and I quote, that's awesome. Later that month, she posted a Father's Day message to him that reads, Chris, we are so incredibly blessed to have you. You do so much every day for us and take such great care of us. 
You are the reason I was brave enough to agree to number three. From laundry to kids' showers, you are incredible, and we are so lucky to have you in our life. At the same time, Chris began to notice a female coworker named Nicole Kessinger. They began to see each other four or five times a week and began a physical relationship. She worked at the like environmental department of Anadarko. It just gets weird. We'll go into it later. He tells Nicole that he is in the middle of a divorce. And when Shanann and the girls go to visit family in North Carolina for five weeks, he tells his mistress that the divorce is final. Nicole comes over to the family home for the first time on July 4th. Nicole later tells investigators that she was only at the house to set up Chris's diet and exercise goals, which like I just said, she's like an environmentalist. What the heck does she know about like health and wellness? I, I don't have a clue. If I, if I knew, I couldn't even tell you. When did she become a personal trainer? I'm kind of confused. Anywho, they go on a few dates and before joining his family in North Carolina for their final week of vacation, he gives Nicole a love letter. The inside of the letter contains lyrics from the song Down to Earth by Through the Roots. When he arrived, the vibe was off. While Shanann was away, there were several instances where Chris did not return her phone calls. Recovered texts from Shanann to a friend show signs of trouble between the couple. One of the text messages reads, I wish my husband wanted to talk to me. She later sent screenshots from her conversation with Chris to a friend. They were arguing about the peanut ice cream incident with his parents. After this event, Cindy blocked Shanann on Facebook and neither grandparent attended their daughter's birthday party. They didn't even call. Shanann says, they owe your kids their life. Your parents' home is in a safe zone. Your mom isn't safe. She accuses him of failing to stand up for her during this battle with her in-laws. Shanann also writes, from the day I left, you never said I missed you before I said it. Something changed when I left. You may be happier alone and that's fine. You can be alone. This pregnancy, you have failed to acknowledge it or to acknowledge how I'm feeling. I'm not going to be treated this way for having the balls to protect our family and kids. On August 4th, Nicole's search history shows that she was shopping for wedding dresses for two hours. Shanann tells her friends that things with Chris have gotten much better and she's headed to Arizona for business. She even drafts a handwritten letter to him. On August 11th, Chris hires a babysitter. He explains to his wife, Shanann, that he is going to a baseball game with some coworkers, but actually he's going to a bar with his girlfriend. Shanann returns home from her business trip around 2 a.m. on August 13th. Her friend gives her a ride home. That morning, Chris wakes up his wife and he's getting ready for work and wants to talk about their future together. Apparently, he tells her that he's having an affair and their marriage won't last. Shanann is obviously heartbroken. They've got two small children, three and four years old, and she's currently 15 weeks pregnant. So she tells Chris that he won't be able to see the kids again. And at this point, Chris loses it. He strangles his pregnant wife before his eldest daughter, Bella, comes into the room. He wraps Shanann in a blanket and tells Bella that mommy is sick and she needs to go to the hospital. So he carries his wife and unborn child into his truck and he gathers Bella and Celeste into the back seat. Instead of going to the hospital, he arrives at his work site. He smothers both children and sets their bodies inside of an oil tank. Then he digs a shallow grave for Shanann. Deep 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 stuff remember shanann's friend that dropped her off at home well when she doesn't hear from shanann she contacts local police that afternoon shanann had a doctor's appointment at 10 a.m and she never arrived so police go to do a, a welfare check and are greeted by none other than a very smiley chris there is some eerie body camera footage of this interaction on youtube if anybody's interested they have like the whole thing from the moment they arrive at the house to the moment that Shanann's friend meets them there and Chris is there and it's just it's bad vibes. Shanann's phone, keys and purse were all located in the house and there were bed sheets in the trash can. According to the news station, 
Chris said. She said she was going to a friend's house with the kids, and that's the last thing I heard, and that was it. It was so vague. So during this time, investigators learn about his relationship with Nicole Kessinger. Chris even had the audacity to plead for his family's safety return on Denver's ABC affiliate. He claims he couldn't sleep without kissing them goodnight. He admitted that he had an emotional conversation with Shanann, but it wasn't an argument, and his main focus was their safety. He was staying with family friends who were supportive at first, but as they saw him pacing around their house, eating pizza and playing on his phone, they contacted police. Even Nicole mm -hmm. stated Chris was too calm and unemotional about his missing family and seemed off, prompting her to also contact the local police and FBI to share what she knew. Nicole says, and I quote, it got to a point that he was telling me so many lies that I eventually told him I did not want to speak again until his family was found. With a pregnant woman and two children missing, I was going to do anything that I could, unquote. The very next day, he fails a polygraph and says that he will admit to everything if he can speak to his father first. And he does. He tells his father and investigators that the reason for his act of violence was at the fault of Shanann. Apparently, he witnessed her smothering his three and four-year-old daughters. After their emotional fight, he saw Bella's lifeless body blue on the ground while Shanann was strangling Celeste through like the baby monitor. He ran into the room and strangled his wife too. Three bodies were discovered at a work site and Chris was denied bond. Nicole told investigators, I legitimately think his cheese was sliding off his cracker long before we met. Mm -hmm. I never I want somebody to make an analogy like that ever again. And it was that at no fault of her own. His cheese on his cracker, nothing to do with her. Nothing to do with her at all. It was already falling off, yes. It was basically gone. What kind of cheese are we talking, you think? I like to think American yellow cheese. I don't think he has anything fancy. He's very basic. I would agree. Government cheese for him. On August 21st, Chris Watts is charged with three counts of first-degree murder, plus two additional first-degree charges for victims 12 or younger. He faced another count for the unlawful termination of a pregnancy, plus three counts of tampering with the body, a total of nine charges for annihilating his family. So at the candlelight vigil and funeral that they held for Shanann and the girls, the priest read a statement from Shanann's father, Frank, that said, you are nothing but pure love, always caring for everyone. You will always be daddy's little girl. So Chris pled guilty to all charges. Shanann's family graciously requested to not offer the death penalty. When he was sentenced to life imprisonment, Judge Marcelo Kopkow calls the murder spree perhaps the most inhumane and vicious crime I have handled out of all the thousands of cases that I have seen. Chris Watts received life sentences without the possibility of parole, including 48 years for unlawful termination of Shanann's pregnancy and 36 years for disposing of the bodies of his family. On December 3rd, 2018, Chris is transferred to Wisconsin due to safety concerns. So this man who's killed his family is now suddenly afraid of little jail prisoner Shank. But it isn't until February 2019 that Chris finally confesses to killing his daughters with a detailed explanation. For all the time that he spent in prison, he maintained that Shanann had been the one to kill his kids, up until this point at least. That's the end of the case, right? There's a lot more details if you're interested. Definitely dive deep into this, but I wanted to also share a bit more about Nicole Kessinger. There are just some things about Nicole and the affair that just don't sit right with my spirit. So Nicole claims that she was unaware that Chris was married, but records show that Nicole frequented Shanann's Facebook page. You know, if, if you know anybody that sells like hair care products or anything from an MLM, they are constantly posting on social media. 
And like I said, she was constantly posting her family, her husband, writing Facebook little notes to him for Father's Day. Like there's absolutely no way you could go on Shanann's profile and think that she was in the middle of a divorce with Chris Watts. Nicole claims that before Shanann got home from her business trip, Chris and Nicole FaceTimed. Chris was lying on his bare mattress. And since it was late at night, Nicole said she thought this was strange. When the bodies of his victims were recovered, they were wrapped in sheets. The phone call was 111 minutes long and Nicole was not able to tell police what they talked about during this call, even though she was interviewed less than 72 hours later. So she, she's got no clue, no recollection of what they talked about for two hours. Even though their relationship was only two months long, police discovered wedding dress shopping along with phrases like marrying your mistress and man I'm having affair with says he will leave his wife in her Google search history. Police also found that she had been searching for Chris Watts on Google as early as August 3rd of 2017. And do you want to know something, Jada? Tell me. That was an entire year before they began dating, before they formally met at work, before they even started dating. She was Googling his name. So she was a little stalker, a little creepy. Absolutely. The morning of the murders, a neighbor saw a truck similar to the one Nicole owned outside of the Watts home. Nicole's phone also pinged a tower in Frederick that morning. Nicole lived 25 minutes away, so she had no reason to be in the area. None at all. She also tried to destroy her SIM card and deleted all text messages and photos of herself and Chris before giving her phone to the police. And side note, good people of the world, that don't work. That do not work. If the police is trying to get your information, they're going to get it, okay? You can't run from the truth. Nicole also Googled things about Amber Fry. Do you know who Amber Fry is? Who's Amber Fry? Amber Fry was the mistress of Scott Peterson, who was convicted of murdering his pregnant wife, Lacey Peterson, sometime in the 2000s. So she Googled oh. stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She Googled stuff like, did people hate Amber Fry or Amber Fry net worth? Mm-hmm. Kessinger was never formally charged. But I do think she had to know a little bit more than what she's letting on and that a formal investigation actually really needs to happen into her and her whereabouts because I couldn't find anything about an alibi for Miss Mama. I'm just a little confused. There is some strange coincidences going on, coinky dinks, and they're just not sitting right with me. I think that her keys wasn't on her cracker till well. And that's how she knows that phrase that no one else has ever said before in their life. Mm-hmm. I think somebody told her that. She's just used it ever since. Her cheese is not on her cracker. I completely forgot to mention, she has since deleted all of her social media, quit her job, and moved away. We have no idea where Nicole Kessinger is. Oh, my God. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She oh. gone girl us. She said, bye, girl. She's just gone into the wind to never be seen again. Some people thought for a long time that she was writing a book um, because Chris said that he would never write a book. So they thought that she would try to, you know, get some money out of it. Because, of course, Googling Amber Fry net worth, like, you know, she's obviously in it to win it. I think that she probably, probably did write a book, but I feel like people bullied her online. Some people have suspected that she's in witness protection. I'm unsure about that. Witness protection for what? Yeah, I don't think Amber Fry was in witness protection. People did hate Amber Fry, though. If you are wondering the answer to that question, they did. They absolutely did. Protecting from who? Protecting from people who hate her, just like Amber Fry? Like, I don't know. It can't be protection from Chris because he in jail. 
there are some crazy people out there in the world that like will like talk and find somebody but if if nobody has hurt Casey Anthony with as much as people hated her, she Nicole don't have a single didn't they, thing to worry didn't about. Did they find Casey Anthony? Didn't somebody find her? They did find her. I think she does like photography or something now, but she's alive and well. Like she's okay. Casey Anthony got a drink thrown at her. I remember it happened mm. just like a couple of months ago. I remember because it was so funny. Mm. It was hilarious. It should have been more than just a drink. They should have really got her. Oh my god! Is there a there's a body cam footage of, I think it might be body cam of the drink. I'm going to have to watch that later. Oh my God. I hate so kids, I, Anthony. So I got information for this story from thoughtcatalog.com, Insider, Rolling Stone, Daily Mail, and of course, good old trusty YouTube. That's where I learned the most about Chris's childhood. And, you know, there was like a full like hour interview from him just talking about like how he grew up and things that happened and that sort of thing. But to me, it sounds like he had a pretty normal childhood, which is not unheard of in the true crime community, but definitely an outlier in the grand scheme of things. I really wonder where the girl is though. Me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. Like where do they live again? Uh, Frederick, Colorado. Yeah, she's probably in Utah. If you were able to run away, get mm-hmm. to run away. To you Utah. think she joined a Mormon church? Um, no, because how old was she? She was born in '98, so currently she's about 33 years old. Maybe I thought she was older than that. Maybe. Ooh, hold on. Actually, I just found something from Daily Mail, so you know, take that with a grain of salt. Daily Mail likes to do whatever they want. This is an exclusive that says that Chris Watts' mistress Nicole Kessinger has applied to change her name, seeking a fresh start. Nearly two years after she confessed to an affair with Chris Watt. So the name change Ooh. came from Jefferson County, Colorado, and the hearing was set, but this was last year. So dang it, she already changed her name. And she was still living in Colorado, which is the worst plan ever. She's too close to the crime. This is to all our little dummies out there. If you're ever looking to run away, not from committing a murder or a crime, because we don't approve of that here, leave the state where you're trying to run away from. Leave the state that you live in. Because otherwise, it doesn't matter. Like, even if you change your name, you still live there. People still know what you look like. I can't find, like, the official name change papers, though, because that stuff, that's leak or that's a uh, public record. So who knows? No. You know what? I'll look it up after this episode. And we'll find out. We we will yeah. find out for you guys. Where did Nicole Kessinger go? Absolutely, because now I want to know if she changed her name to something ugly. Who does she think she is? Clark Kent? She's just going to put on a pair of glasses and change her name, and then that's it. Like, she's been all Because I'm looking TV. at pictures at her, of her, like, now, like, she looks very average, but if I saw her, I would, like, notice. Especially if you saw her in Colorado. With as big as this case was, changing your name is not going to help you, sweetie. At all. Well, thank you guys for tuning in for the first episode of True Crime for Dummies mini-sode. And we hope to see you back soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.